seriously popular. In today's episode, why Man United fans were moronic to boo Ten Hag. Will managers ever stop moaning about 100-minute matches? And why two goalkeepers are better than one? I'm Ian Ladyman. I'm Chris Sutton. And it's all kicking off. Those of you tuning in hoping to hear Martin Keown talk about the Battle of Old Trafford, need to wait a few days. That episode will be with you on YouTube later in the week. But please stick around today because this version of it's all kicking off is going to be a belter. Chris, if Man United are in crisis, then are Chelsea also? What a way to start. Uh, look, I don't think Manchester United, are, uh, Manchester United are in crisis and I certainly don't think Chelsea are in crisis. We can't judge both teams on five games. They've both had really disappointing starts to the season. We can't get away from that. But crisis, that's a massive overreaction. I would suggest that we're not judging Manchester United on five games. We're judging Manchester United on what's been going on for about a decade. But we'll come to we will come to them in a little while. What I would like to say about both these big clubs is that they both have different problems, but they both have one thing in common, which is I think they struggle at the moment to have a real identity in the way they behave and the way they play football. Um, I think Manchester United have an identity, but it's not the same identity of, say, a Manchester City. So what is it? Uh, I think that they have uh, issues in midfield, players who don't have the legs and the, the dynamism and the athleticism, so they have to play in a certain way, which essentially is counter-attack football. I think that they're good at counter-attack. But the issue Manchester United have is the, the demands... Uh, because of the history of the club and the way that, you know, the Manchester United way of playing, attack, attack, attack. That's not the way uh, Eric Ten Hag can set his team up to play. And that is the problem. Manchester United have become a counter-attacking team. I think they've become a counter-attacking team by accident. So are you telling me they've got an accidental identity as a counter-attacking side? Um, I... I think it's a needs must at this moment in time. Uh, you know, I think I said last season, Casemiro, however, however much he uh, cost, was a bit of a panic buy. He ended up having a good season. We can't deny that Manchester United last season under Eric Ten Hag really made progress. Correct. The issue at the start of this season is they haven't hit the ground running. Performances, performances haven't been there. But, you know, this isn't just on Ten Hag. You know, the, the issues with Greenwood, the issues with Anthony, the issues with Sancho sideshow issues which he doesn't need but what Ten Hag uh, can control is performances on the pitch and you have to say they haven't performed this season albeit I think everybody's sort of looking looking for too much uh, at Manchester United at this moment in time they've lost to Brighton who are the worst possible team I think you can play because they want you to come on and, and press them they, you know they provoke you into the press They've lost to Arsenal and they've lost to Tottenham. That's not a disaster. It's not what Manchester United fans wanted, of course. But, you know, there, there needs to be a longer run of games but, before we, sh- we can judge 10. Manchester United have become a team that can't control possession. They can't control the rhythm of a game. They can't control the flow of a game. As I've said on this show before, and you laughed at me, they will be good sides because they will pick teams off on the yeah. counter-attack because they have pace. But... I have to say, United teams have always played well on the counter. Alex Ferguson's teams always played well on the counter, but they dominated the ball. They don't do that anymore. I think that's a bit of an insult to their heritage, and I think it's one of the things that Eric Ten Hag will have to change. What do you mean, an insult? Because if you go to Old Trafford, if you go to Old Trafford, 
you expect to, to see excitement. You expect to see your team win. But you expect to see them in control of a football match. And I don't think United control football matches so, anymore. So, so you love Eric Ten Hag. But what if Eric Ten Hag is, is thinking, these are the players which I've got. I can't play in, in any other way. I get the, the best out of my team playing counter-attack. I think we both agree on that. So, 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 so it's, but it's not, it, it can't be an insult to the heritage if he's playing a certain way which he thinks is, is, is the best way of playing to win a if, game of football. If, he, if, if I got the impression that they were doing it on purpose, if I got the impression that that is the way, if I got the impression they, they're quite happy and they want to play at home against Brighton and have 40% of the ball, if I, if I thought they were doing that on purpose, then I'd think, oh, and if, that was, if, if they were moving forwards, they were winning lots of games, they were winning trophies, you'd think, okay, Ten yeah. Hag's come here and had the courage to impose his own tactical systems and nows on this football club. I don't think that's what's happening at the moment. But I want to talk to you about Chelsea because we're going to come back to Manchester United. Sorry to cut you off. Okay, I know yeah. you're going to disagree with me, but you can do it in a bit if you want. Let's talk about, let's talk about, let's talk about, let's talk about Chelsea. Let's talk about their identity. What is it? Uh, well, Pochettino has has gone in at Chelsea, and he is he is essentially still cl- clearing up the mess. Um, you know, it was a, a a top heavy squad. We know all about the Chelsea signings that they've brought young, and, and he needs time to develop the squad. I think it's as, as simple as that. They've got issues in the goal scoring department. This has gone on for a long time now. Uh, Jackson isn't firing. I mean, it's five games, uh, and Kunku, unfortunately for Pochettino, has got injured. You know. He's out for a few months and it's not clicking. I don't think Pochettino has a clue what his best 11 is and, and that's a problem. But again, we're you know, very early into the Pochettino that, that's tenure. A, that's, quite, that's quite a damning thing to say about an experienced manager that you don't think. He's been at the club for a while. I know the season's only just started. He's been at the club a while. doesn't know what his best team is. Absolutely not. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, how, how do we know that? Every week he chops and changes. There's that uncertainty. And look, I mean, he'll he'll take training every day, and and you know he would have preferred to be in a position where he had a settled team, whether uh, where they were were building and had a rhythm, but that hasn't happened yet. So I understand what he's striving to do, but there needs to be patience at Chelsea. You saying, yeah, well, Graham Potter didn't get an awful lot of that, did he? Um, he, you, he had enough enough time, didn't? What seven months? Seven months is I felt for Graham Potter, but were they improving? I thought that was a bit of a harsh sacking, but were they improving under Graham Potter? No, but that doesn't mean that they wouldn't have further down the line. Potter, and let's not get sidetracked by a guy who's no longer at the club, Potter was sold a long-term vision at, yeah. at, at Chelsea and then they turned and then they turned round and faced the other way as soon as as soon as results went bad that ain't a long term strategy chris that's boom and bust that's what chelsea have been doing for years uh, yeah i'm not going to disagree i'm not going to disagree with you over the the potter sacking the issue is is the ownership change as maybe that there needs to be a different expectation from chelsea fans for years chelsea were serial winners under Abramovich with with the short term transfer approach, something which I think you know mm. you, you're sort of quite critical yeah. of that approach, but yeah. it worked for Chelsea over what the best part well, of twenty they, years. They could have won more if it, if it, if they behaved differently. They'd have won, they'd have won more. They could. But, have, but, but, they, but hang they, on, they, they were there. Chelsea were there before Manchester City were there, and when in terms of the money, they were there first, right? And because of Abramovich's constant desire to chop and change and to tolerate this boom and bust cycle. Well, hang on, hang on. No, hang on. no, you, were, no you hang on. 
It worked. It Under worked a to a degree. I mean, it, it was it worked no, to a degree. No, no, no they how, never. How, how many league titles did they, they win? How many Champions Leagues did they, they win? How never, many cups did they, they win? Ne- Abramovich came into Chelsea, and Abramovich's, Abramovich's money washed through Chelsea with with one objective, which was to dominate English football, and they didn't do it. They didn't do it. They so won. What, so what? What is? They, they, what, it depends well, how you determine. Well, how you determine? Well, I don't know how determined. Manchester City doing it. That's dominating English football. Winning title after title after title. Chelsea didn't do that. Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea was would it, was win. It, was it far, how many titles did Chelsea win under Abramovich? My point is they never dominated English football and that was the objective and it didn't work. They won loads. They gave their fans loads. They gave them good teams. They gave them great players. They gave them some good managers. They couple didn't. A ch- couple they, of Champions League. They didn't dominate English football uh, and they could have done. Now, Listen, one chap who played... Let's go back to identity again. One chap who played for Chelsea for eight years was Frank Sinclair. You remember remember Frank. Um, And he was on Twitter yesterday, a former Chelsea defender. He took to Twitter yesterday to say this about Chelsea's identity. He said, post-Hazard, Drogba, Terry era, I can't remember the last Chelsea player I looked forward to watching. Characters non-existent at the club now. What happened to Zola's brilliance? Viali's charm... Why is he the pantomime Villo? Hullet's arrogance. All on the pitch characters gone. Now, there's probably some exaggeration there. There have been some other very, very talented uh, recent Chelsea players that have won a Champions League recently. But I think what Frank is getting at is where is the, where's the team at Stamford Bridge? Where are the players that, that fans can invest in emotionally? I think that's the point he's making. And I agree with that a little bit. After five games. Because how can you invest emotionally in a group of players when it's a different group of players every season? But 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 it was fine. It was fine, Chelsea fans investing in a group of players when they were winning Premier League titles, when they were winning FA Cups, League Cups and uh, and, and Champions League. That's all right when, you, when you're winning. And now we're being critical of, of this sort of short-term... Uh, Chelsea transfer policy now because because they've started the season poorly. I, I, I think that, that, you know, Pochettino needs time to develop the team. I mean, it, you know, he absolutely needs time to develop the team. We're going so early on Chelsea here. I know it's not we been are. a I, I know it's not been a great start to the season, but we also can't deny Pochettino took over, you know, a, a really difficult situation where they had However many players, top, you know, top heavy, he then has to make decisions on those players. He'll want to bring his own players right. in. So it's not, it's not straightforward, but we can't, we can't go back and, you know, and, and, and to look, look at the team now and compare it to, to, to the previous owner and what the previous owner did. Because whether you like Abramovich or not, in terms of winning things, he did what it said on the tin, didn't he? There were some Chelsea teams that had strong identities. Of course there were. I think Mourinho's first great team had a, had a stronger identity. Of course, it, of course it did. I think Mourinho's second time there was a bit of an identity at the club. But I think what's happened in the last couple of years with the, the sheer number of players that have moved into that club and out of that club, if I was a Chelsea fan and turned up on a Saturday afternoon and looked at the team sheet, I would be asking myself who, who some of the players are. Why are they so got, exasperated? Were Chelsea not nicknamed... Were they not nicknamed the Foreign Legion back in the... You, Right, I, I just, right, okay. you, you know, I think they were the first. It's nothing team. to do with nationality. Well, well, well 
you know, right. in terms of overhaul of players, I really don't know where you're going with this. Right, let me put this to you. Right. Because they're not because Manchester, they're not winning, right. you, you're criticising Manchester, them. Manchester City, what, fancy criticising a football club that's not winning? If we're not going to do that, there's no point in being here. But, you, but, you now, were, but, but I bet you weren't criticising them when it was working then. No, well, because, well, it hasn't worked yet. I'm talking about this period particularly. What, this, five, five this, games? No, the last two years since the ownership changed, the number of players that have come in and out of the football... Only out of the football club, it's absolutely extraordinary. Now, look, you mentioned foreign players. Let's talk about Manchester City for, for a minute, right? They've been under Abu Dhabi ownership now for 15 years, if my maths are correct. And already they have managed to spend and win. And they have, they have, they have employed, uh, fielded players such as, if you go through the company Zabaleta, Torre, Aguero era, that some of those players are now looked at by Man City fans in the same way that they look at uh, Bell, Summerby and Lee. And then they've, they've managed to move from that era through another one to this one. And you've now got players like, off the top of my head, uh, John Stones, who's been there a number of years. Kyle Walker has been there a number of years. Kevin De Bruyne has down been to the manager. Ke- Kevin, all, all this is Kevin, down. All this no, is not, down. All this is down to to, to, to Pep and his leadership. It's like you've rehearsed it. In you the, always in, in your bathroom. It's like I've thought of this. <laughs> yes, yeah, like I've thought about it. You always interrupt when I'm in a flow. Um, but the, it's, it's to do with the strategy of a football club. It's not just to do with the manager. And so they've now moved forward to those cl- players I was mentioning, Stones, Walker, De Bruyne, Foden, th- through the academy, into another group of players that, that have something about the club almost written right the way through them. Mo Salah, right, North African footballer, he, he'll be in the pantheon with Kevin Keegan when he leaves, when he leaves Anfield. What do you see when you what 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 part of that do you see when you look at Chelsea? You just see names on a team sheet, expensive names on a team sheet. They haven't even got a centre forward. But, but you can't deny Chelsea were successful. You're being I'm talking you, about you, Chelsea yeah, but, now. But, but 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 you are being critical of of the way that they've done business in the past because it, it's you know it's, it's very cer- similar. It's a certain it's, it's model. It's very similar and, and and it worked for them. And you can't deny that. I, look. Yes, in terms of what you're saying about Manchester City, I'm not going to I'm not going to disagree with you. Manchester City have been the best at it, but Chelsea still had success. All this connection with the fans, well, is that why you didn't support Wigan because you didn't have a connection that, with the a, uh, with, I mean, the, knew, with the players? Knew, Did you not know the players at Wigan? Is that why? For you, those of you who are new to this before. 30 minutes of arguing and bick- all this, bick- all this bickering, connection bickering, stuff, bickering. nonsense. Last week, Chris managed to wheel out me the fact that I don't support my hometown team. Because, and my uh, rather lame reason for that is that they were a non-league team when, when I was a kid. But those people who did... Can you name any Wigan player from back in the day when when they were a non-league team? Tony Kelly, absolutely. No, he didn't play for them when they were in the non-league. So he actually didn't no, play for them. So you're naming it. Hang on a minute. Tony Kelly, central midfield player, built like a brick outhouse, did, as he used did, to say. Did you not, connect, did you not have a connection with him? Tony one Kelly? Fifth, one of 53, oh, 54 tomorrow, actually. Um, 53 years old, and I still remember him. Big chap, built like Jan Mulby, not quite Jan Mulby's level. Couldn't run, didn't want to run. Beautiful pass of the ball. Remember, free kick he scored in the snow at Springfield Park once. Magnificent footballer. Yes, I do remember them. And I would imagine that Wigan, that Wigan fans who did used to go and watch them every week still talk about Tony Kelly the, yeah. Tony Kelly the way that thank, I am. Thank but God for those fans. That's not... True let's fans. Not, let's not go down the road of of just being rude to each other for the for the sake of it. Um, and let I, all I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, is that Chelsea 
You're slightly confusing Chelsea of Abramovich and the Chelsea of no, now. No, I'm not. What I will say about Chelsea, Chelsea, of course Chelsea have been successful. Of course they've given their supporters an awful lot of enjoyment and fun and silverware. I think they could be doing what City are doing now had they been smarter. Now, what we would, I think, both agree with when we talk about Manchester United and Chelsea is they've both got very, 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 very good managers. I happen to think, let me watch your Mauricio, Pochettino is probably the, just about the best appointment Chelsea could have made. I think Eric Ten Hag is the best thing about Manchester United at the moment, although his comment on Saturday after the defeat to Brighton that, that it's about character is a bit of a shocking admission. But I do think Ten Hag is uh, the way forward for United. I think you agree with that to a degree, don't you? I think so. Uh, yeah, I think there needs to be a patience um, with Manchester United. Uh, I saw a quote from Ten Hag last week about coming in and, and having to, to, to set standards which weren't there previously. And I think he's still struggling with that. And that's, you know, that's not down to him. You know, the, the, some of the situation has been taken out of his hands. I thought he was a success last season. Mm. This season, uh, it was about making that next step and making progress. And clearly at this moment in time, they haven't done that. But, you know, we can't judge him after five games. I, have to, I happen to say, I happen to, happen to think, by the way, that the booing at Old Trafford of Ten Hag on Saturday for taking off Rasmus Hoyland was absolutely moronic. If you are booing your manager for taking off the one player who has given you reason to be optimistic, and we know he's got a long-term back situation going on, if you're booing your manager for taking him off mm. when he's clearly trying to game-manage him, then you don't know very much about football. But, but that's, that's your entitled fan base, isn't it? You, you know, Probably Manchester not. United fans being, you know, feeling entitled. Um, I'm, I'm totally with you on this. It, it's protecting Hoyland, who's just come back from a, yeah. you know, a long-term injury. So, you know, he would have had a plan with the, with the medical department taking him off. And, you know, it's just, it, it's just unravelling. And Manchester United fans need to keep their heads. There, there are so many different sort of aspects of, of issues uh, which are wrong at Manchester United you got it from the top with the with the Glazers you know recruitment you have to say hasn't been hasn't been yeah. great and then you know the thing uh, Ten Hag can control his performances on the pitch but then when he's got players missing but you know Anthony missing and uh, and, and, yeah, and Sancho absolutely. missing that, that's not his that's not his fault yeah I, I'm not I live in Manchester I know a lot of Manchester United fans and most of them that I know are an awful lot smarter than that. Now, someone who does know um, everything there is to know about Manchester United is Chris Wheeler, our Manchester United reporter, who who joins us now. Now, Chris has been um, covering Manchester United for the best part of two decades, and he was at Old Trafford at the weekend. And excuse me for, for those of you watching on YouTube, the fact I'm just going to look at my phone. So I'm just going to read something that Chris wrote in his match report in The Verdict and on our digital platforms this morning, talking about the fact that United have just lost their first home game in the league for 13 months. Um, and of course, they lost to Brighton last season too. Um, and he says, the Seagulls returned here on Saturday and did what Seagulls do from a great height on those careless enough not to see it coming, which is a superb piece of writing from um, from Chris. I'm not just saying that because he joins us now. Um, Chris, how bad was that on, on Saturday? It was pretty bad. Um, I think we've both seen, though, our fair share of crises at Manchester United over the years, whether it was Moyes, Van Gaal, Mourinho and uh, Solskjaer. And I don't think we're quite there yet. I mean, it can go from being a blip to a drama to a crisis very, very quickly. That can happen very, very quickly at this kind of club. And I don't think we're there yet, though, no. 
let's just talk a little bit about Eric Ten Hag because Chris and I have been sitting here talking a lot about the, the, the general environment at Manchester United. Is Ten Hag himself as a coach, as a manager, coming under any kind of pressure at all from the rank and file Manchester United supporters that you tap into? I would say no. Uh, I'd also say, as Man United manager, he's always under pressure. Part of his job is under pressure. But I think the booing on Saturday was more um, a single reaction to that decision and that moment rather than some kind of seismic change to Wars Ten Hag himself. I don't think he's he's on any kind of like thin ice right now. I just think the fans aren't happy. And in that moment, they turned on him and that one decision. I get the impression that Manchester United fans turn up at Old Trafford, Old Trafford these days half expecting the worst, where in the old days they used to turn up thinking whatever happens today, we'll find a way to win. Absolutely. I think it was interesting on Saturday, and Ollie Holt mentioned it in his match report in the uh, the well, on Sunday, that, that when Ten Hag lost his first game in charge against Brighton 13 months ago, it was a massive shock. It was a huge shock, that one. On Saturday, it didn't feel like a shock anymore. I think that's been the change over the last year or so, that the fans now probably appreciate more than ever that, that it's a long way back. Okay. Chris, thanks for being with us, mate, and um, enjoy Munich, and you never know, United might surprise a few people and get the kind of result that uh, gets this season up and running. All That Thought will be back right after this. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Chris, uh, Chris Sutton, um, let's leave United. We could talk about United all day. We come into this show every weekend, don't we? Determined not to talk about Manchester United because we want to kind of spread the, spread the love around. But sometimes when the biggest football club in the country loses another game, you just got to go there. But let's go now to North London and the game at Spurs at the weekend. Spurs are developing a bit of an identity under Ange Postacoglu. We're not going to be diverted down. We're not the, going to give Spurs any not praise. We're not going no. big Ange today. We're not going big Ange today. But they got away with it a bit on Saturday. Sheffield United came. Did were, they? Were, well, they were leading until very late on. It was, and, it was, it was a pummeling. And, well, it was a pummeling that also almost led to Sheffield United victory. Tottenham scored two late goals. Sheffield United manager Paul Heckingbottom blamed the referee. Listen, it's not funny. The referees just are killing the game at the minute, ruining it. But the referees just showing how little they know about the game and they're directing it. We work all week on how we want to play and the refs are dictated to us how we play the game. Can't happen, but it's happening. Haven't got a clue what they're doing. Haven't. 
not not a clue. When they're ruining the game, they just do not know what they're doing. And it's nothing to do with the result. Like I said, I was doing it from nil-nil. I speak to them all the time. Went to see them at half-time. I was doing it when we won nil up. Everyone can see it. Both sets of players are frustrated. Both sets of staff are frustrated. All the fans are frustrated. Why? Because the people who are directing our game haven't got a clue about our game. They don't know football. Do not know it. Foolish. The, the, the ball boys or the lads on the cell multiple literally laughing at the referees. They're taking the mickey out of him. Do you know what I mean? Bonkers. Absolutely bonkers. Ball boys laughing at referees. Wow. Referees, people running the game, don't know football. There may be a few referees who, uh, you know, look at Sheffield United and their performances this season and look at Paul Heckingbottom and think, well, Paul Heckingbottom doesn't know football as well. I, I actually thought it was an outburst um, based on his frustration. Would he have come out and, and said the same thing had Sheffield United won the game or, or drawn the game? I, I think absolutely not. But I, I actually thought his, his attack from a, a, a Premier League manager to be so dismissive about referees, you know, not knowing the game, uh, you know, the effect it could have uh, further down the chain. You know, I think he was out of order. He was quite measured in the way it was delivered, which makes me think that it was premeditated and he knew exactly, he'd thought about what he was going to say. He's not, not one of those where a manager comes into a press conference, loses a plot, walks out and immediately thinks, oh God, what have I said? I think he knew exactly what he was saying. Um Making excuses? It was, is he making excuses? You know, absolutely. I, I think deep down, he, you know, he would have felt sick because his team had, you mm. know, nearly seen it through against uh, Tottenham. But you know, essentially, uh, you know, his team didn't pick up from a corner, and then they mentally capitulated, lost concentration. Spurs win the game, and that would that would have hurt from a manager now who seemingly looks under pressure. You know, I, I, I've got sympathy for Paul Heckingbottom because he got the, he got Sheffield United up against the odds a little bit, got them into the Premier League, <laughs> actually sold most of the best players. And I know they've, you know, brought a few players in now. Uh, but, you know, it's been a tough start for him. And I think that, that, that all, all came out in the wash, his emotions after the game, but he's blaming the wrong people. What he's getting at, just for, to make it clear, is that he's talking about added time. He's talking about added time and he thinks that his team were penalised too much um, for that, too much time added on at the end of the game. Um, uh, Tottenham's winner it was actually the latest goal ever scored in uh, in Premier League history, I believe. Don't mean don't mean nine thirty at night. I mean kind of in terms yeah. of the terms of the, <laughs> terms of the game. Um, and that's what he's up, upset about. And he's particularly upset about the fact that he claims the referee told um, him and told his players that they were going to have to change the way they were playing, which I haven't explained very well. So I'll try it again. The goalkeeper's booked. For handing outside, for Ball handing premium, outside yeah. the box, and and the referee then informs Sheffield United that if he does it again, or if he, if he's booked again, he'll be off. Heckingbottom's point is that well, my goalkeeper's got the ball and he wants to play it short to uh, to players to to build from the back, but those players are being pressed, and therefore the referee's saying well he's got to kick it, he's got to kick it long then, which Heckingbottom thinks is disgraceful. Oh, he's telling our team how to play. No, he's not, mate. He's telling you what you should already know which is your goalkeeper's got two choices when he gets the ball. He either plays it to someone nearby and trusts him to, to, to handle the ball or he lumps it down the pitch. That's the same that every, goal, every goalkeeper has that decision every Saturday or Sunday. It's uh, nonsense. I, th I think you strip it all back. We all know what, we all know what time wasting is. Yeah. And Sheffield United at the weekend were, were guilty of, uh, you know, of time wasting. And then, 
you know, with the new regulations which have come in and, and the added time. I think it's a good thing. But every week, you know, we see we're going to see managers complaining one way or the other, depending on the particular result at that particular time. Matt Barlow, writing in the Mail on Sunday, who was at the game, he he described Sheffield United's time-wasting tactics as a sideshow of its own. So I think it was... I mean, Matt's a very, very level chap, and I think if Matt's saying that, then it, then, then I, I buy is that, into that. Is that, that Matt losing his head there? Matt Barlow does, does not lose his head. Especially when he's got a football at his feet. Very good footballer, Matt Barlow. Um, but, you know, he's, the point is that... that, that that these r- regulations were brought in to combat time wasting. You know my view in it. I'm all for it. Entertainment is going up. We're getting late goals. We're getting goals in added time. The ball in play at Old Trafford on Saturday was 68 minutes. That is a massive improvement from last season when it was more like 50 minutes, 55 minutes. It's working. The referees need to stand up to the managers and keep at it. I agree with everything you say. And, uh, you know, managers need to take greater responsibility if their teams are conceding in in these added-on minutes. Do you also think there needs to be a shift psychologically in the minds of some of the managers? Whereby, we always used to think that football matches lasted 90 minutes and anything that went beyond that was Fergie time or whatever you wanted to call it. And if you concede a goal in Fergie time, in added time, you were just unlucky. The fact is that football matches now last for 100 minutes. It's a fact. They last for 100 minutes because of all the cheating and time-wasting that goes on. The smart managers will teach their players how to deal with 100-minute football matches. The dumb ones will just moan about it when it goes against them. Why are you laughing? So you, so you, you, don't, you, don't, you, don't, you don't think that every Premier League manager has adjusted to this? Well, some of them don't seem... Some of them well, seem... Well, some name, them, name well, names then. So, Come on, so so you, are you telling are you you you're actually saying that Premier League managers? I mean, everybody knows what's happened, but that you know they they haven't trained towards this or explained well, to the, to the Heck- players. Not not the players don't know. Paul Heckingbottom appears to have approached the uh, those final ten eleven minutes uh, minutes at Tottenham as though they came out of nowhere and took his team by surprise. Mm. How did they concede the winning goal, Chris? Tell me that. How do, how, well, they gave the ball they away. They gave the ball away yes. by overplaying in their own half. Now, how, yeah, so smart, that, so now that's, how smart is that? Well, that's that's a decision-making issue, isn't it? Now, this is the part of the show that Chris loves because it doesn't involve him. It just involves him sitting there and laughing at me and how bad I am at this. Um, this is the part of the show where we um, ask you to please uh, watch and listen to our show. We are a new podcast and what we need, obviously his eyes and ears, but we also need reviews and comments. We need you to subscribe on YouTube. So if you are getting this podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please leave a review, good, bad, ind- indifferent even, mm-hmm. whatever. We just like to hear what you Just honest. To, honest, because we're on, yeah. we need to know what you think and then we can take it on board. We can try and improve. We have had some nice reviews, believe it or not. Um, this was Neil Wallace on Spotify. He said, tuned in out of curiosity and stayed because it's absolutely brilliant. Ladyman's a very experienced sports journalist, but I'm stunned by how good Chris Sutton is. You That's and I, very nice. You and I both. You got the experienced one. You and I both, Neil. Um, Philippe in Belgium has been listening on Spotify. Great Belgium. job. Great, exactly. You can get, they can get radio oh. in Belgium, you know. Um, ra- radio. The wireless. Yeah, that's right. The wireless. Um, Great job, boys. Keep keep them coming. Um, And then we've got Yasmin on the Apple. Amazing. Love the podcast. So please do keep those coming. Rate and review. Subscribe. 
etc etc now um it's a good job that arsenal and uh, liverpool won at the weekend because manchester would be running would be running away with this premier league already we don't talk about manchester city we do don't we? Talk because about they, them are, enough. they are they are they're so good that we don't we talk don't about talk about and about them enough although we have talk, spoken about them a little bit um today now arteta tried to kind of talk his way out of this uh big call by suggesting that He'll rotate goalkeepers the way that he rotates outfield players, and he may even What's wrong want, with that? and he even may even one day in the future sub goalkeepers on and off during What's the game. What's wrong with that? Yeah, but it, well, it'd be nothing wrong with it if it was true. I don't think it is true. I think David Ray's in the team now in the Premier, so, in so, the Premier so, League. So, so in the we, Premier League, we so we can't really we shouldn't have this debate right now. Then I think it was. I think it's a really interesting one, and you know in. In the past, I've been, you know, dismissive of uh, of long throw coaches, for mm, example, or throwing mm, coaches, mm, for example. And, as I would be. And, but I mean, it's all about details, small margins, and you know, it's been successful for teams like like Brentford. Thomas Frank, you know, is, is a stickler for detail, and you know, as, essentially, those small margins haven't just kept Brentford in the Premier League. You know, Brentford have been really successful with this goalkeeping thing. I don't know exactly where I stand, but but but. We all, we all understand um, the competition element, the need for competition, uh, the need for, for players pushing each other. So what, what's different about goalkeepers then? What, why, why should it be different? It's, this, it's the same principle, isn't it? So what's, it, what's Arteta doing it, wrong if, if this does carry on game it, to game? It, it is interesting. I just don't think Arteta is going to do it. I think what you say is very, very, it's quite clever, quite forward thinking. Um, I just don't think Arteta's Arteta. He have, he he's the coach who claims that he plays forty three different formations in a game. The fact is, we, we admire Arteta because of the way his team plays and what he's hang on what he's done at Arsenal. What the, the, I I heard him talk about the goalkeeper yesterday. I just don't think he's going to do it. I think he will rotate. I think Ramsdale might play Champions League, for example, might play the cup competitions. I think Ray will play Premier League now. And this talk of subbing a goalkeeper on during a game to adapt to a change this, in the this way is, the game, this is, this I is, don't think that will happen. Just be careful, you old dinosaur there, because th this may be brilliant innovation from, uh, from Arteta. Yeah, but it could also uh, just be so, words. So, so, you, so you, yeah, you tell me then, throughout Premier League history, teams who have had two outstanding goalkeepers back, so in terms of backup goalkeepers go on start scrolling Google I think we're just about running out of time so I'm not sure but you understand the point so, 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 so look we had the Ramsdale Pickford debate and you know I think they're close mm. but, but if Ramsdale gets injured they have a bloody good goalkeeper in, in Raya if yeah. Raya gets injured you know a, a brilliant number two so what is what's, well, what's wrong with that nothing wrong with it but it's very hard to do because goalkeepers are the only people who know that if they're not playing, they're not playing. And that's why you don't tend what? to... Well, because goalkeepers know that if the, the goalkeepers don't get subbed on during a game, for example, so they know if they're out, they're out. So that's why it's hard to get two very good goalkeepers at a club, because the one who was out would think, I'm not going to get on the pitch, I'm going to go and play somewhere else. What Arteta is suggesting is that he could change this. Right. It's, it's all forward it's, thinking. It's, in, in, in like two it, years, you'll be praising Arteta for this forward it thinking. It's forward thinking. It's, it's great, but I don't think it's true. You're stuck I, in the past. Okay. That's your problem. And I might sit here in two months' time when 
Mikel Arteta, Arteta has thrown Ramsdale on with 10 minutes of a game remaining to deal with what he thought well, was... Ramsdale a, goes up and scores from a corner. And if he does, I'm sure that you will encourage me to return to this debate. I think it was just Arteta's way of talking his way out of the fact that he's dropped England's number two goalkeeper. One of your traits is you are stuck in the past. You don't like new things. It's interesting that because I have been many people in my life have accused me before from not not liking not liking change very much. Um, and you might be right. I just I just don't think it's going to happen. But I'm I'm repeating myself now. Right moments of the weekend. Well, my my moment as of week, I've had to save this one. Is something you said on this <laughs> pod last week? Let's have a listen. <laughs> Now, people say that Jude Bellingham is England's, England's best player. Bellingham has had a magnificent start to his uh, club career in Madrid. I must admit, on Saturday, I thought there was a few little Hollywood moments. A couple of back, there was a back flick by the touchline that went out of play. I think there were a couple of moments where he was maybe grandstanding a little bit. Mm, do you, I mean, and then a couple of days later, he was the best player the world has ever seen. I mean, where are you on Hollywood <laughs> Bellingham? That was that was my moment of the week. Just, oh, I'm going to admit it. This section is called Moments of the Weekend. All of the, all of these things happened last week. So I could disqualify you here on the technicality. I could but, disqualify fair, but I won't, fair enough. But I won't because I have to, I, I admit, I did um, call Jude Bellingham out on the way he played against uh, Ukraine in Poland. But that was fair because he did, he was grandstanding against uh, Ukraine. He wasn't grandstanding against Scotland at Hamden. He was absolutely magnificent. I may have overstretched a bit, <laughs> overstretched it a bit when I then compared him to Zinedine Zidane. That may yeah. have been a step or a, or a step over too far. Is it somewhere in the middle, mate? I reserve my, I reserve the right to to criticise a player one week and praise him the next yeah. week if he does two different so things. So you, you've done that this I've, season already with the Manchester United goalkeeper and Bellingham. Correct. Would I critique you the same way for your spell? At Chelsea, as I would for your spell at Blackburn <laughs> Rovers. Well, you're kind of one low. one good season at Blackburn Rovers. Um, no, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> so, look, you've 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 tweaked the rules there, but I'll let you get away with it because it's fair comment. You, you've called me out there, and I, I, I like that. My moments. Of the, I've got two moments of the weekend. They did happen at the weekend. The first was Son at um, Tottenham pushing Richarlison towards the fans to take the praise at the end of the game. As we know, Richarlison has um, struggled a little bit um, with some mental health issues recently. He's been brave enough to talk about them. He's had great support from his club, from his manager. But on Saturday, he did what all players want to do. He turned up and scored a really, really important goal. And Son, I mean, he is the, I mean, he is the nicest footballer in England. Yeah. He really is the nicest no, well footballer. Said. Yeah. He absolutely is. And I like that. Now, the second thing was, um, what I really liked at uh, Villa Park was referee... Darren English gives a penalty to Darren England. Oh God, is that have I got that wrong? I have, haven't I? Fair enough. Nothing I've got wrong. Darren England. I'm just as just as well you're here. Just as, just as well you're here. Darren England. Um, sticking with his penalty decision. Yeah. Ollie Watkins brought down by Chris Richards. Uh, a, a foul. Uh, took the man first and then got a bit of the ball. Uh, the referees then sent to the screen, and we all know what happens when referees go to the screen, don't we? And change he, their they mind. normally overturn it. Yeah. He stuck with his decision. Fair play, but it, it, it was did. The right so, decision. so there was there was a bit not controversy, but the, the time it took to get to that decision, I think, was quite lengthy. Which don't, is, a, is a, a debate for another day. But I'm with you on that. Be, don't be pedant, with it. Don't be pedantic. More referees need to need to go with the courage of their convictions and yep. stay 
Fair enough. with their decisions. And that, I think, is a good enough uh, place to end. Um, we've got a couple more nice reviews reviews to, to go out here. Uh, Jane Poland on YouTube. Well done, guys. All sorts of interesting stuff. Come on, you spares. Uh, Muxy B on YouTube. Didn't, we didn't speak about we didn't Spurs, do Spurs because you're, you, you've sort of gone anti... We're not understanding you've gone anti-Tottenham, but because they're doing so well, I think we should continue to talk about Spurs. We've got whole country of football teams to talk about and we can't stick to big hands every week just because you're in love with him. I think that's as good as anywhere to leave this week's show but before we go I, pl- I do need to tell you about a YouTube special that they are, we are recording for this coming Thursday with Chris and I and Martin Keown the former Arsenal and England defender. Martin will join us to talk about the 20th anniversary of the Battle of Old Trafford. You really don't want to miss that one thanks again for being with us if you're listening on a podcast please remember to leave us a comment leave us a review if you're watching on youtube remember to like and subscribe main online is a place to go for all your breaking sports news please download and subscribe to the mail plus app on thursday tune in for our little in between a show it's all coming up where chris and i will be chatting about the next weekend's premier league action on zoom but before anything else please remember to be back here next week for the next edition of this show i'm in ladyman the chap to my left is chris sutton and this has been it's all kicking off <laughs>